I love God's Word. In fact, my text verse this morning is going to be out of Romans 7. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. I know we've been standing and sitting a lot, but it's a good workout. Get some squats in today. Romans 7, verse 18. He says, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can anyone relate to that? Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. He's talking about the sin nature that we are all born with. You didn't have to learn it. You didn't have to acquire it. You didn't have to buy it. You got it from being born. The title of my message today is Your Own Worst Enemy. Would you guys pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. God, thank you that you are in this place, Lord. We do welcome you here today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and have your way. I pray that my words would be your words. I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil, that the seed that is planted today will germinate and grow and produce fruit in our lives for your kingdom, for your will, and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to be your own best friend. Which, after saying that, I realize that's kind of weird. If you're your own best friend, that's kind of a lonely place to be, but I think you get my point, right? So, anyone ever here feel like you're your own worst enemy? I think we probably all feel that way at times, right? Like you just can't get out of your own way? That maybe some de- the decisions you make sometimes put you in bad situations that, uh, where you're realizing that it, it really is you sometimes that can be your, your own worst enemy, whether it's about your money you know, your finances, but making, making bad decisions about spending and, not, uh, and, and getting into debt. Or maybe it's about your health, you know, making healthy choices. Sometimes it can be tough with the food we eat, the ex- not getting exercise, things like that. Or in our relationships that we choose people to be in a relationship with that we really shouldn't choose, it becomes toxic. And we can all, it's easy for us to become our own worst enemy in our life. And the thing is, we have enough forces in this world that are working against us. We don't, they don't need any help from us. We don't need to help the enemy of our soul to become an enemy to ourselves. But it is in our DNA, as Paul was saying in that verse in Romans 7. In fact, the sin nature inside of us will always create a tension that will have to be managed in our life. Always. The sin nature in us didn't go away when we got saved. The power of the sin nature in us was defeated, but the sin nature is still there. Right? We all know that because just because we got saved doesn't mean we don't struggle with anything anymore. So there's always going to be that tension there in our life that we're going to have to deal with. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5, he tells us that the flesh nature is in conflict with God's nature. So we have the Spirit of God living in us, but we also still have this sin nature. So there's a tension there. There's a conflict there that we're going to be experiencing for the rest of our life until we meet Jesus face to face. And in that day, in that moment, that sin nature will be gone forever. And that's a glorious thing. But until then, we're going to have this conflict in our life. And Paul is talking about the fact that the law showed us our sin, but the law didn't give us any power over sin. It just showed us our sin. That's what he's talking about in Romans 7. But then, that's not the end of the story. Because then he goes into Romans 8. Which if you know your Bible, if you know the book of Romans, Romans 8 is one of the best, if not the best chapter in all the Bible. Because it talks about the spirit-filled life. The life led by the Spirit of God. That even though we have this sin nature, that is a, is a challenge and is a struggle in our life, 
we also get the Spirit of God if we are followers of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean everything just all of a sudden becomes easy, because even in that, it's up to us what we're going to choose, how much we are going to be submitted to the Spirit of God in our life. If we're going to choose to let him rule and reign in our life, if we're going to be committed to the Spirit of God, if we're going to be submitted to the Spirit of God, if we're going to be immersed, if we're going to be baptized in the Spirit, letting him have his way in our life, it's still a choice we have to make. He does not overtake us and overwhelm us and make us do the things we do. But as we submit to him, he gives us the power to defeat it. You see, what, what Paul said in Romans 7, he's talking about everything. He said, you know, the good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do is what I do. So what he's referring to there, he's, he's showing us that it's not, the problem isn't our knowledge. We understand what the good is. So it's not about us not knowing better. And it's also not about desire. Because he even says, my desire is to do the good. But what I end up doing is the bad. So it's not about knowledge or desire, but it's about power. He's saying, I'm powerless against this sin nature in me. But praise be to God, when he gets into Romans 8, he gives us the end of the story and tells us about the Holy Spirit that lives in us and empowers us to live for him as we are submitted to that spirit in our life. But instead, we have a tendency to allow the carnal nature, the carnal mind, to have too much control in our life. And what we do is we will believe these false narratives that our mind will say to us, sometimes it's our mind, sometimes it's from outside forces that bring these false narratives into our life. And if we believe them, it can make us our own worst enemy. There's all kinds of forces outside of our own mind that are working against us, right? That are giving us false narratives. I mean, the list would be endless. You know, you mentioned politicians have a narrative. Many politicians, not all, but many have a, have a narrative that it's more about their party than it is about the truth. You know, we see that the news media, it's the same thing. It's more about making money. It's more about, you know, pandering to their constituents than it is really about the truth. Social media, social media is a cesspool of false narratives and bad information, right? I'm not ripping, social media is fine, but that, it is a breeding ground for those things. Hollywood is another one that, you know, the truth is relative. If it feels good, do it. There's, you know, there's all kinds of false narratives coming out of Hollywood too. And so if we're not careful, we can buy into these false narratives in our life. And it's one thing to let those, those things give us false narratives about society and things like that. But it's another thing when we go to those places to get our narratives about God. You know, it's one thing to get your, your news from TikTok and Twitter and Facebook. It's another thing to get your theology from those places. Because more often than not, those places are going to lead you astray. You know, young people, just because a video on TikTok has millions of views does not mean that it's true. In fact, sometimes the truth is less entertaining than the lies. And so people want to believe the false narratives because sometimes it meets their own need of wanting to feel a certain way. And when we, when we get our doctrine from places like that, we are running, we are in dangerous waters. That's not the place for us to get it. And it's easy for us to get into these false narratives that can really affect us. But there are many false narratives out there, but sometimes we don't have to look any further than right here to find the false narratives in life, to find the lies in life. We're good at lying to ourselves too, aren't we? We're good at framing God's word sometimes to meet our needs rather than allowing God's word to speak for itself and to, and to make our life fit to the word of God. And so sometimes if we wanna find our worst enemy, it's right here. It's right here within us. And that's the part we can control. We can't control social media. We can't control politicians. We can't control the news. Hollywood, none of those things, but we control 
We can control what we allow to come into our mind and what we allow ourselves to believe. So the question today is, what lies have you believed about God? I think we need to ask ourselves that. Because we know what you believe determines how you will live. Like, it's not the other way around. It's not about what you live determines what you believe. What you believe will determine what you, how you live. You tell me how you live your life, I can tell you very quickly what you believe. And even how we approach our relationship with God, what we believe determines how we approach that relationship with him. Do you feel like God's not, as, not big enough to help you with your issues? Or if you believe he's big enough, maybe you don't believe he really cares. You know, do you believe you can trust him when it comes to your finances, that he's going to be your provider? Do you trust him when it comes to your health? Do you trust him when it comes to your marriage, to your kids, to your school, to your relationships, to all of these things? Do you trust him in those things? What you believe about him will determine how you will live. And those narratives that you have in your mind, if they're false narratives, will feed the negative part of it and cause you to go away from God and go towards yourself and go towards the narratives that you want to believe in your life. And so how do we stop believing these narratives? Because I'm telling you, and you, I'm not telling you anything today about this, because you know too, those false narratives are constantly bombarding us. They're there every day. There's new ones every day. Just like God's mercy is new every morning, the false narratives are new every morning too. And they come at us, and we are being attacked with false narratives in our mind. That try, and, and, then, and then as we entertain them, as we allow them to produce fruit in our lives, we become our own worst enemy. So how do we stop these false narratives from having place in our life? Well, it's very simple. We have to wage war. Amen. Yeah. We have to wage war against the falsities in our life. You know, Paul, in his letters to the church in Corinth, you know, he did a lot of correcting of that church. They were, in, they were in some heresy. They were in some bad thinking. And he wrote to the church to correct them. And in his second letter, he used some very militant language when he was talking to them to try to correct some of their bad thinking. In 2 Corinthians 10, look what he says here. I have highlighted every word that, that is military in nature. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did you know you have divine power in you if you are a follower of Jesus to demolish strongholds in your life? Don't read over this so fast that you miss that divine power. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You get help. Oh, by the way, the guy helping you just happens to be the God of the universe. That's pretty cool. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Look at these military words he's using there. We wage war, we fight, we demolish strongholds, we take captive. He's telling us if we want it, we got to go get it. To think that we're going to win the battle of the mind, the battle of the false narratives that come against us in our life by just hoping for the best is a pipe dream. Paul says if you want it, you got to approach it like you would a military installation. You have to go get it because these things that come against us, they are strongholds. When he's talking about strongholds here, he's actually talking about bad thinking. He's talking about false narratives. I'm not even having to twist, uh, twist this scripture to make it fit my sermon it actually fits perfectly because that's what he's talking about. He's saying, you guys have had a lot of bad thinking. you got a lot of bad strongholds in your life. But praise God, you have divine power not to just hold them at bay, but to demolish them, to nuke them, 
to get rid of them to where you are not subject to your thoughts. You're not a victim of your thoughts. You have the power in you if you are a follower of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in you to defeat those thoughts in your mind. And everything that sets itself up sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know, the, when he's talking about the knowledge of God here, it's not some kind of passive knowledge of like, yeah, I know that guy. It is a deep, it is an intimate, it is a personal knowledge of Jesus. Not a knowledge you learned about from your pastor or from somebody you heard on a podcast, but from your relationship with him. You see, up until about 2,000 years ago, we didn't have that privilege. And now we have it. Because of what Jesus did for us, the temple veil was torn in two to where we have access now into the Holy of Holies, into relationship with him whenever we want. You can come to him at one in the morning. You can come to him at one in the afternoon. He's there waiting for you. And he said, if we, if we will let our knowledge of him, our relationship with him, it, it can empower us to tear down the strongholds and every pretension. I mean, there's a lot of pretension out there, isn't there? A lot of pretenders. In the faith, outside of the faith, there's pretenders everywhere. Things that would try to come against us to, to give us that false narrative to push us away from the true depth of relationship that God would call us to and wants in our life. We can defeat those things in our life. But this is where we get tripped up. This is where we get tripped up is having to be intentional, having to be aggressive, having to be, uh, have forethought, thinking ahead about winning the battle that we have to fight. And if we think about it, if we really believe that God is all he says he is, we wouldn't really worry, think twice about a lot of things we worry about. We wouldn't think twice about worrying about our future or about our family or about our money or about our health or about relationships, whatever it is, our job, our career. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't even think twice about that stuff if we really believe that God is who he says he is. Because these strongholds get put up in our mind. They're usually, they, they, a lot of times they'll get put up in the in the dark of night, we don't even realize it's happening. Next thing we know, our thinking is terrible, and we've allowed these, these narratives to have their way in our life in such a way that completely keeps us from being victorious the way God has called us and paid for us to be victorious in our life. So there are endless strongholds as far as the narratives go in our life that, that, can, that come against us. But there's a few specific ones that I want to give you today that have really been on my heart a lot, and I just want to share them with you because I think they're things that need to be exposed so we can see them for what they are to walk in victory. And these are narratives that make us our own worst enemy. And the first one is sin. The narrative for sin, that it's no big deal. And this is a tension in the church. This is a tension in, in churches. You see it in a lot of churches that, that really won't even talk about sin much. And we understand that tension because, you know what, when, you, when people come to church, you want them to feel good. You know, I mean, we do a lot here to try to make it a good experience for everybody that would come here on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever. You know, the band works hard. They're here Thursday night rehearsing, singing, making sure they, they don't sound horrible, you know, so it's not distracting and, and that it's good. And we, we spend money on lighting and air conditioning, and we do a lot of things to make sure it's a good experience for everybody. So I'm no different than anybody else. When you guys come in here on a Sunday, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to feel good. Well, sin doesn't make us feel good. Sin makes us feel bad. But we also have an obligation to talk about sin so that we understand the dangers of sin in our life. You know, when we think about it in the medical community, you know, a lot of you work in the medical community. If somebody comes into the emergency room and says, oh, I'm having horrible chest pains, I think I'm having a heart attack, and you lay them on a bed and you give them some good medicine to mask the pain so that they're not in pain, 
but you're not actually looking into what's going on with their heart, next thing you know, they could pass away. But at least we made them feel good while they were doing it, right? That's absurd. We would never do that in the medical community. But yet we have a cancer inside of us that's called sin that if we're not careful, we'll just mask it over and try to make people feel good about themselves when in reality they're dying on the inside. So it is imperative upon us that we talk about sin and that we understand that it is a big deal and that we don't believe the lie that it's no big deal. And you might say, well, sin isn't a big deal anymore because Jesus died and paid for all of our sin and so now we're all good to go if we, if we are Christians, right? That is a false narrative. That is not true. Now, I'm not saying we're not forgiven. Of course we're forgiven. When you give your life to Jesus and you step, you step from death into life and you step over that threshold, your sins are forgiven. Praise God. And what he did on the cross was enough to forgive our sins from the past, the present, and the future. Absolutely, without question. But to think that because we got saved and we're Christians that we could just, we don't have to worry about sin anymore and the sin in our life, we just, you know, it's fine because God forgives it. It's no big deal is a lie. And it is, it can kill us. It can destroy us if we're not careful. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, he tells us in Hebrews 12, 1, look what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have to understand this book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. It was written to Christians. So if sin's no big deal for Christians, then why would he be talking about it? right? It, sin is just as big a deal for Christians as it is for non-Christians because we have to understand that sin can entangle us very easily. I think of the, the illustration I think of is like walking through the woods and you can't, you're not looking very closely and all of a sudden you walk right through a spider web and it's like all over your face and all over your clothes. It was a huge one and you can't get it off. You're like trying to rub your face and it's just getting worse and you're grossed out because you got, you know, if there's a spider web, that means a spider's close. So he might be on me too now. And you start freaking out. You're trying to get it all off you and you can't get it off. You're entangled in it. That's exactly what sin can do to us. That's exactly what sin can do in our life. And we have to understand that even though Jesus paid the price for our sin, he took the power of sin, but he didn't eliminate sin. Right? If he eliminated sin, there wouldn't be any sin. We'd get saved and we're just like, woo, we'd never sin again. It's not like that. He took the power of it, but he didn't eliminate it. We still have to walk in that lifestyle of understanding that there has to be a lifestyle of repentance for us. That when we slip and fall, because we will, we'll continually do that, but there has to be repentance on our part. And to think that we can just embrace it and condone sin in our life and think that it's forgiven, we are deceiving ourselves. We can't condone and just accept that, that, that having a lifestyle of sin and thinking that God just forgives it and it's okay. That is a false narrative that the enemy actually would want you to believe because in reality, that sin is killing you inside, whether you're a Christian or not. It's not okay for us. And, and when I think of like, like to think that we can just, because we're a Christian, we can just, just kind of do our thing. We can kind of sin and it's not a big deal. You know, I can, you know, as long as I go to church on Sunday and and I try to be a good person, I'm okay. It's no big deal that I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or it's no big deal that I'm getting hammered on Friday night as long as I'm at church on Sunday. You know, and you're not even trying to get victory over that. You're just like, it's just not that big of a deal. You're in dangerous waters. Amen. You are in very, very dangerous waters. Jesus took the power of it, but we still have to walk in that victory. Right. You know, in World War II, we defeated the Nazis, right? 
And we took the power from them so they could no longer do what they were doing, terrorizing the world. What if we had defeated them, but then we just stepped back and said, you know what, though? It's fine. We defeated you, but they're going to keep having their concentration camps. They're going to keep killing people. They're going to keep doing their thing and, and pushing racism all over the world. They're just going to do it. It's no big deal. It would be absurd. But that's what we say sometimes in the church. Like, well, God defeated the sin, but we're just going to go ahead and let the sin keep doing its thing. It's not that big of a deal. Absolutely. We would never do that. And we're not, we are set free from sin. God set us free from the power of it. It has no power over our life, but we can still give ourselves to it if we're not careful. God has called us to a standard of holiness to walk in our life. And I think where we get into, into error is that we get into comparison, where we think, well, you know what? I'm better than most, right? I'm better than most. I know I got these things in my life that I'm just kind of putting up with, but I'm still better than most. Let me tell you, unless you're as good as God, you're not good enough. And there ain't one of us as good as God. So we're not good enough. So we need to deal aggressively with the sin in our life. We need to understand that it is a big deal in our life if we condone it. Now, again, there's two extremes to this. There's the extreme of like, it's fine, I can do whatever I want, and it's all forgiven. Then there's the other extreme that says, you know, I lose my salvation every time I sin. Okay? Neither one of those are right. You know, we don't need to like sit around biting our nails all the time wondering if we did something that upset God. That's not it at all. We're forgiven. You know, we can, we can walk in the forgiveness and the grace of God in our life. But when he convicts us, that's when we have to be willing to turn around and repent of those things and say, God, I need your help. I need you to help me deal with this because I'm not strong enough on my own. And he will help you to deal with it. We as Christians should be living a lifestyle of confession, a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of coming to him, asking his forgiveness for the things that we know we've done. You know, Jesus, went, one of the, the most popular prayer he ever gave us was the Lord's Prayer that we quote all the time. And that was for us as Christians. And he says that we are to pray, God, forgive my sins as I forgive others. If you only had to do it at the moment of salvation, why would he say it? We need to make sure we are living that lifestyle. 1 John 3 and 6. If you don't like conviction, don't ever read 1 John. But in 1 John 3, 6, he tells it like it is. He says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. It's pretty, you don't see that on bumper stickers very often, but that's in the Bible. It's a very, very clear word from God. that if we, He's saying here, what he's basically saying, church, is if you continue to sin and condone it, you don't really know Jesus. You really don't. You don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Because Jesus would not have paid for all of that so that we could just continue to do it. That's not who he is. That's not what he did. And you might say, well, what about grace? Well, I'm glad you asked. Grace is one of my favorite things in all the world. Because we're saved by grace. We wouldn't even have the option of salvation if it wasn't for grace. But you know what? Grace is not a license for us to do whatever we want. Grace saves us, but then grace is also power in our life to live the life that he has called us to live. Grace is the power to overcome sin. I love, one of my favorite quotes in all the world was from the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, where he said, a grace that can't change me can't save me. That's a powerful word. The grace of God changes us. So if we think, oh, well, God's just, it's grace. You know, grace, I can do this. You know, I can do whatever I want. I can, you know, I can, I can smoke weed every Friday night because God's grace is covering me. You don't know what grace is then. Because that's not what it is. Grace is the power to stop doing that. Amen. To help you live according to his word, not according to your own pleasures. 
Let's not, let's not get into the deception of thinking we don't need to deal with sin aggressively in our life. 1 John 1, 9, this is also in 1 John, he tells us what we need to do. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This confess here, though, is not about, hey, I screwed up, confess, move on. It's about, this confession is about a contrition. It's about coming to God on our knees and saying, God, help me. God, help me. I need your help. That's how we are supposed to deal with the sin in our life. All right, another false narrative is devotion. The narrative of devotion to God. That I can love God and I can love the world. You know, I don't have to give all my devotion to God, right? I can, uh, I can be half-hearted. Half-hearted is better than nothing. We have this notion that God's just happy as long as we give him something, you know? We do that in relationships with humans sometimes. Like, you know, maybe my wife will be happy if I spend a little bit of time with her. And humans put up with that, but God's not like that. God wants all of our devotion. He's not just happy if we just give him a little bit and we throw him a bone every once in a while. He talks very, the Bible's very clear about God, what God's expectations are when it comes to our devotion to him. In fact, Jesus himself talked about the lukewarm Christian, the one that wants to love the world and love God. And he gave some of the harshest words you'll see in the Bible. He says, I, it makes me sick when you are living on the fence, when you are lukewarm, when you have one foot in the world and one foot in your faith. He says it literally makes him sick to his stomach. That, that, that verse we're talking about, he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. We make Jesus nauseous when we are half-hearted in our devotion to him. So there's no place for it. But the narrative that we can believe in our minds is, eh, you know what, I'm a good person. You know, I kind of do my thing. But, you know, I, but if we're motivated and we're lustfully seeking things in the world and we're only partially devoted to God, he's saying that's, that's a false narrative to think that that's okay and that it's not a big deal in our life. The Bible has a lot to say about love in the world. And none of it's good. I could just give you a couple verses. Another one out of 1 John. Like I told you, if you don't like conviction, don't read 1 John. 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I wish he would just tell us straight. The love of the Father is not in us. And then if, if that's not bad enough, James, who, you know, James really likes to hurt our feelings. In James 4.4, 4, he says, You adulterous people. He's talking to the church. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. He's talking about devotion. He's talking about where your devotion is, where your loyalty lies. And you know, guys, we can, we can fake it. We know how to put on the face, especially if you've been doing this a long time. You know how to act, put on the show when you come to church on Sunday or when you're around your Christian friends. We know how to put the face on, the facade up to make it look like we're fully devoted to our God. But we know in our heart if we really are. And somebody else knows in our heart if we really are. Our Heavenly Father. And he's demanding. He, his sacrifice for us demands that we are fully devoted to him. Fully devoted. Because, you know, there is a God that kind of runs this world. But it's a God with a small G. Satan has, has free reign over the earth right now. He's roaming all over the place. He has free reign to do his thing. In fact, Paul tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So he's, he's at work. One day he'll be tied up, he'll be gone. But right now he's, he's doing things in the earth. So he's the God of this world. So anytime we are, we are lustfully pursuing things of the world, we're giving ourselves to the, the world, our devotion is to the things of the world, 
what we're doing is we are being pulled away from our God. The whole thrust, the whole mission, if the world had a mission and a vision statement, it would be to keep us as far away from God as possible. So to think we can dabble in both, we're deceiving ourselves because God demands and calls for our full devotion to him. In fact, Paul warns us in Romans 12, he says not to conform to the world. He's like, don't assimilate to the world. Don't conform to the world because it's dangerous. Don't, be, don't want to be part of it. Don't try to just blend in. Don't try to just have your cake and eat it too. We're meant to be set apart. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what sanctification is, that we are set apart, that we don't look like them. Now, we're in the world, and we try to affect the world for the glory of God. But our devotion is not to the world. Our devotion is not to just making sure we make a bunch of money and, and can retire one day and live easy on this earth. That's not, that's not our motivation. If that's your devotion, then you're splitting your devotion between the world and with God. And as a church, we have to stop fooling ourselves that we can do both, that we can love both. You know, it's like if you're on a diet and your buddy's going to an all-you-can-eat buffet, and you're like, yeah, I'll just go with you and hang out. And we know how that goes. Next thing you know, you had a piece of fried chicken, two pieces of pizza, chocolate cake, and ice cream. And then you get on the scale the next morning and you're mad because you're not losing any weight. That's what it looks like. Like we're like, we're like trying to do both. You know, I'm on a diet, but I'm going to eat everything I want to eat. You know, it's absurd. We laugh at people that would do that. But we do it in the spiritual, in, in our faith too. Like, well, I, I got this faith, but man, I really, mm, I'm really driven over here to, to get the things I really want in my life too, the things that will please me. And again, Please know my heart. I'm not saying it's bad to have things. It's about where your devotion is. It's about what you're devoted to, what you're committed to, what matters to you, what you're passionate about. God wants our devotion. And if you're going to be devoted to God, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost. Always. And I think sometimes we as Christians can try to figure out what's the least we can do and still be a good Christian. What's the least I can give? Well, how much can I get? How much can I be in the world and still be considered a Christian? And still like have God let me into heaven when I'm when it's all over? It's a horrible way of looking at our faith. Our faith should be about God. What's holding me back from giving you everything? What is still in me? As John the Baptist said, "I got to decrease. You got to increase." Like what is still in me that's causing you not to be able to increase in my life? Like whatever I haven't given up, I, I want to give up more. Like God, just tell me what it is, and I'll give it up for you. You know, I love the heart of King David in 2 Samuel where he's, there's a plague in, in Israel and the prophet comes to David and says, hey, if you'll, if you'll sacrifice a burnt offering, God will, will, will lift the plague. So David goes, gets to this guy's house, his name's Arana. He gets to his place, he says, hey, I want to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar so I can do a burnt offering and get rid of this plague. And this Arana guy, he's like, Oh my goodness, the king's at my house. He's like, yeah, you can have anything you want. Take it all. I got some ox here. You can use them. No problem. No money needed. And look what the king says in verse 24. He says, but the king replied to Arana, nope, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. That, that's our heart. That should be our heart, guys. That we would not want to have this, live this life of faith that doesn't cost us anything. If you're trying to live a life of faith that costs you as little as possible, you've missed the point of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I don't want a faith that costs me nothing. I don't want it. You know why? Because a faith that costs us nothing is empty and hollow. It's empty. 
In fact, I would say the reason so many Christians are so unhappy and so discontent and, and lack so much joy is because of that very thing. Trying to figure out what we, how little we can sacrifice, how little we can give and still be a Christian. Rather than saying, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. The air I breathe, it's yours. The, the, the beating heart in my chest, it's yours. My house, it's yours. My kids, they're yours. My car, it's yours. My job, it's yours. Everything I have is yours, God. That's what a life of devotion looks like. Not trying to see how much we can get away with or how little we can do. We cannot rest on our laurels. You know, you might say, well, you know, I was really devoted 10 years ago and I did a lot of things and I, you know, I went on a missions trip and I've given money to missions and I've done these things and, you know, but right now I'm just in the season where I kind of need to focus on me. Devotion isn't about looking back. Devotion is about today. It's not about yesterday. It's not about last week. It's about today, being devoted to him. And if we're not, we can become our own worst enemy. Let me, let me give you my last one. The last narrative that can make us our own worst enemy is God's, the narrative of God's faithfulness. The narrative that God has failed me. Now, this is one that we would never say out loud. Because, I mean, you'd, you'd sound like the worst Christian ever to say God failed us. But you know what? I know we all deal with it. We all deal with it. And I've seen people that I know of, it's caused them to walk away from God. You probably know somebody too. Maybe you've even done that in the past. Where you you felt like you weren't able to trust him anymore because you feel like God failed you. I want to tell you today, I came here to tell you today that God is faithful. He is faithful every second of every day. He cannot not be faithful. It's not even possible for him. One of his names is faithful. That's who he is. And I can tell you today from experience, I'm not telling you because I heard somebody say it or because I read it somewhere or I heard it on a podcast. I'm telling you from experience that I know that I know that I know that God is faithful. I know that he is faithful in every way, in every situation, in every scenario, in every circumstance in our life. Everywhere. Amen. Somebody praise God today. But you know what? Just because I know he's faithful and I've experienced it doesn't mean I haven't had tough times. And it doesn't mean that his faithfulness looks the same way. You know, a lot of times we have this, we have this viewpoint of what faithfulness looks like. And so when, he doesn't, when he's not faithful the way we think he should be faithful, we get frustrated. And we pull back. We say, well, God, I can't trust you. Because, you know, I needed you to come through in this situation. You didn't do it the way I needed it. So now, you know, eh, I don't feel like you're faithful. You know, we won't say it out loud, but that's really where we're at because it forces us or causes us to put walls up between us and God. Say, no, God, I'm going to keep you at arm's length because I can't trust you because I've seen you where you weren't faithful in my situation. And I can tell you that sometimes his faithfulness looks different than it does in other times. And I can tell you for myself that there were times I didn't even recognize his faithfulness until much later. Sometimes we don't see it until in hindsight. Sometimes we're not going to see it until we're in heaven. We're not going to understand what he was doing in a certain situation. We may not even understand it in this lifetime. Now, I love what Pastor Chris Hodges said one time. He said, you know what? The first thousand years in heaven after Jesus comes back and gets us, he said, the first thousand years in heaven, all we're going to be doing is going, oh, so that's what, oh, okay, now I get it. Because there's a lot of things here we're not, just not going to understand. And if, if, if understanding is the value we have, then we're going to be really frustrated. Because we're not always going to understand. 
We're not always go- it's not always going to make sense in life in what God is doing. But we know that we know if we're not seeing his faithfulness, the problem isn't his faithfulness. The problem is what we're seeing. That's the issue. And so we, when we struggle with faithfulness, we have to, or struggling with his faithfulness, we have to be very, very diligent and careful not to let those false narratives produce fruit in our life. Can I just be brutally honest with you guys? I struggled with God's faithfulness this very week. I struggled with it. And uh, I just, I feel the need to be transparent. You know, if you're, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you are at the wrong church. <laughs> Actually, there isn't one, but I'm going to be real with you too, because we're on this journey together. But you know what? When I was struggling with God's faithfulness, what I, w- I was saying, God, are, are you sure you know what you're doing? How ridiculous is that? You know, like God's going to say, oh, no, I don't. Thanks for reminding me. You know? But you know what happens? When we are struggling with God's faithfulness and we get on our knees, he meets us in that place. See, I know enough to know that God is faithful. So I know enough to know that when I'm struggling with his faithfulness, the issue is not him. The issue is me. So I get on my knees and I say, okay, God, I know you're faithful. So I need, to, I need you to show me why I'm struggling here. And God meets you in that place and reminds you that he's faithful and reminds you that you can trust him. And then all of a sudden, you know what? My situation didn't change one iota. Not one bit. Nothing changed except my perspective. God, you know what? I can't trust you. You're right. I can't trust you. And what he does for me is he'll remind me of ways that he's manifested faithfulness where I was able to see it with my eyes. And then you get stirred up. You think, oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. Ooh, there's another one. God, you really are good. Right? But you know what? We have to be willing to trust him even when we don't understand. In fact, Isaiah said it beautifully in Isaiah 55, 9. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the deal. This is basically speaking to God's sovereignness, sovereignty. He's sovereign. You're not going to understand everything. You got to be okay with it. And when we read this verse, there's parts of it we get. Like he says that his ways are higher than ours. Well, we get that, right? We know God can do things we can't do. I couldn't create the earth with my voice. You know, I couldn't make fire and sulfur rain down out of the sky. I couldn't, I couldn't split, I, if I went over to the Middle East, tried to split the Red Sea or part the Jordan, I'm pretty sure I couldn't do it, right? There's a lot of things God does that I'm like, okay, yeah, his ways are definitely higher than mine. But then he also says his thoughts are higher. That's where we struggle because we get arrogant sometimes and think, you know what, I, I, know, what, I know what God's doing. You know, I, read, I know my word, I know my Bible, I know what God's doing. And we start to think that we can think like God when in reality his thoughts Just as much as his ways are above ours, so are his thoughts. So if he lets you have understanding in a situation, that's great. But there's going to be a lot of times he's not. And he doesn't owe you that. He doesn't owe us anything. What he says is, you know what, you got to trust me. You got to trust me that I love you, that I'm faithful, that I'm good, that my my plans for you are good. You got to trust it. And if it doesn't look like you want it to look, you still got to trust it. Because it's not about whether or not it looks the way you want it to look. It's about knowing the character of God and who he is. And we either stand on that or we don't. If we don't stand on that, the false narratives come in flooding in. They're flooding in. Boy, the enemy's waiting for you to question and to let him just start speaking lies to you. Yeah, you know what? God isn't really that faithful. He don't really care about you. You're just, you're a nobody. Why would he care about you? He only cares about pastors and, you know, people in ministry. Why would he care about you? You know what? Oh, he didn't, he didn't heal your mom. See, see, God's not faithful. Oh, God, he didn't do this for you. You know, you, you went into debt. You lost your house. God's not faithful. You lost your job. You're a good worker. What kind of God will let that happen? And the narrative's just, man, they're just all day, 
all day, all you want. And you can start believing them or you can get on your knees and say, okay, God, I know you're faithful. Why don't I see it? Show me, what's, show me where I'm missing it and give me the ability to trust you. You know, we just, we take so much of God's faithfulness for granted. There's so much of it we'll never see that we, we just can't see because we don't have the ability. You know, I, I, we think about like if you're a parent here and you got kids, you know what? You're pretty faithful to your kids, right? You're not as faithful as God is, but you're pretty faithful to your kids. And kids just take it for granted. That's kind of their job. That's just what they do, you know? They don't think about the fact that you had to, you know, you got to go work your tail off to buy food. And they just go in the refrigerator and there's food in there, you know? They go in their bedroom, they turn on the light switch, the light comes on. They don't think about the fact that you had to pay the power bill. In fact, they don't care that you had to pay the power bill. There I go again. I'm really bitter about the power bill. <laughs> about lights left on in the house. You know, they, they walk in there, they come in the house, the house is cool in the summer, the air conditioner's running. They don't think about it. You know, they got their cell phone. They don't think about the fact that you pay their cell phone bill every week or every month. They don't think about that stuff. And if they're driving, they pay their insurance and pay for their gas. They don't think about it. They just take it all for granted, right? But you know, as a parent, the beauty is one day they're going to have to do it too, <laughs> right? Then they'll appreciate it. Then they'll call you, thank you so much. What am I going to do? But it's when they walk in our shoes that they appreciate it. Well, here's the thing. We're never going to walk in God's shoes. So there's going to be aspects we're never going to appreciate. We don't know how many times he saved us from car accidents. We don't know how many times he saved us from tragedy. We don't know how many times he saved us from horrible decisions. We don't know. But we know he does because he's faithful and he's good. But we have to be able to trust that and not believe the narratives that will come into our mind if we allow them. God is never, ever not faithful in our life. Let me just close with this. You know, when we talk about God's faithfulness, I knew in my mid-20s that I was called into the ministry. God's, I mean, it was one of those clearest times God's ever spoke to my heart. I've shared it before. Well, then we were also led soon after we got married and soon after that we were led into business where we had a business for 15 years. And the whole time I knew I was called to ministry, but God had specifically put us in this place of, of business. And I've spent a lot of time frustrated. Joy will tell you, <laughs> I spent a lot of time frustrated because I just, I knew, you know, and I was like, God, you know, I know you're faithful. I know you're good. I know, I know I heard you what's going on. And, and I spent, you know, multiple times during that season complaining to God because I just, God, I know, I know you have more for me than this and not the business is bad, but I just, it wasn't fulfilling me. I wanted to be where I felt like God was calling me to. Well, then the time finally came up where Pastor Bowen hired me here to be the executive pastor here, which is you know, to, to run the business of the church, to be over the administration of the church, to be over the finances and make sure that that was all taken care of and that T's were crossed and I's were dotted. And it wasn't until then that I looked back and saw, oh, okay, God, you are faithful because you were teaching me how to run business during this time in the secular world so that eventually I would be doing it in the church world for the kingdom of God. And I saw God's faithfulness. And you know what? Pastor Mullins never told me this, but I feel pretty strongly that it's true. He wouldn't have hired me if I didn't have that experience. Not to, not to hand over the keys to the church, to run the business side of the church, the, the financial side of the church. He would have never given me that if I didn't have that, that 15 years of experience that I had. So God was faithful even in those 15 years, even though I didn't see it. And even though I didn't want it, and even though it didn't look like I thought it was going to look, God and his grace and his mercy has let me see his faithfulness now looking back. And I'm so thankful for it. I learned things that were invaluable to help in the church. 
that I'm so grateful for and thankful for. Now, that was one of those situations where God let me see it, but there's times God's not going to let you see it. He's not going to reveal it to you in a way that you want to see him working in your situation, but we can still trust that he is who he says that he is. He will never let you go through something longer than you want to go through or make you, have you go through more pain than you want to go through for nothing. God doesn't waste anything in our life. Nothing is wasted in our life if we will live surrendered to him. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord. I want to close today by asking you a couple of questions. Are you your own worst enemy? And have you believed the false narratives in your life? That's probably not even a good way to word it. What false narratives have you believed? Because we've all believed. What are you dealing with right now in your life and in your heart that's making you an enemy to yourself? I really want you to reflect on that for a moment and just think about it. And I want to pray for you because whatever those things are, it can stop today. It can stop today. It does not have to go on. We are not victims of our thought life. We're not victims of the lies that are being perpetuated all around us everywhere we go. We're not victims. Do you believe that today? You are not a victim. We are more than conquerors through him. Only through him, though. Only his spirit in us makes us more than conquerors. Without his spirit, we are victims. We are helpless against the power of the enemy, against the powers of this world, against our own minds. We have no power over it. The only thing that gives us the power over it is the Spirit of God in us. But it's all about how much we are committed to Him. You know, you may have had an incredible conversion experience. You may have had an incredible moment where you were filled with the Holy Spirit and it was a powerful moment. You can point back to it and remember what shirt you were wearing that day. If you don't stay submitted and committed to Him, it doesn't matter. It's not a one-time thing. The Bible tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. Continually filled. We got to stay committed. There's a part for us to play too in all of this. So whatever those lies are you're believing, let's pray today and believe that we're just going to let the truth of God reign in our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life to our very bones. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We pray today that your truth would reign in our hearts. Lord, we want to expose those false narratives that have been taking place in our heart and in our minds today. Whatever those are, Lord, each one of us has something different probably. God, I pray that as we come to you today that we lay those down and we ask you, God, to replace it with your truth. Let your truth reign. We are not victims of the lies that are being perpetuated in our life today. We are not victims. We are victorious in you, Jesus. And we thank you for it today, Lord. I pray today, God, that you would help us to deal with the sin. If there's a sin in our life that we have been condoning, that we have been uh, allowing to, to produce in our life, God, we today, we turn from it. We repent. We return from those sins. We throw it off and we run away from it and run to you. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for condoning sin in our lives. Forgive us for belittling your sacrifice you made on the cross. And God, we want to be devoted to you. Lord, help us not to love the world. Help us to see it for what it is. God, let our devotion and our love be all aimed towards you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you today that you are faithful. We declare today that we will stand on and believe that your word is true, that your character is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it is that you are faithful. God, forgive us where we have doubted your faithfulness. Help us to stand on your truth. And Lord, when we see you as being unfaithful, we know that the issue is not with you, it's with us. God, remind us to come to you and to give ourselves to you that you can increase in our life and that we would decrease. Lord, it's all for your glory. It's all for your kingdom. It's all for your purposes in our life, Lord. But we thank you that you're such a good father that it's also for our good. We worship you today, Lord. We love you today, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory. We honor you today, Jesus. Just take a moment. Just take the next 15 seconds. Let's just worship him. Let's thank him for who he is. God, we thank you today. We thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for your death, your resurrection. We thank you that you are interceding for us, that you are at the right hand of the Father. Lord, And we just thank you that your truth can rule and reign in our lives. Let it rule and reign in each one of our lives, Lord Jesus. Your truth, Lord, your truth, the only truth that there is, God. Lord, the lies stop today. We will not be our own worst enemy. That stops today in the name of Jesus. By the blood of the Lamb, we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we just give God a clap offering today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful God we serve.